So I dropped a tweet in here. Uh, this is a little thread with just some short thoughts on um, the misinformation of it all. Uh, obviously, we're focused very much on misinformation, and we're going to be talking about that in the main body of this session when we get started. Meanwhile, welcome thoughts. Um, if anybody does have comments they'd like to make, happy to have those while we're sort of waiting for our designated uh, speakers to come in. So if that's you, give it a little request on the mic and uh, happy to hear from you. I'll just kind of like go through quickly some of my thoughts from the, from the hearing, things that are related to misinformation and I'd love to hear others. Um, I think this is, we, we do a newsletter every week and so we're probably going to have to cover this hearing and all that <laughs> all that happened um at least some of the major parts of it so these are my thoughts on this i've got kind of six points that i came came away with in terms of misinformation and i've pinned the tweet there so the first thing is you've been hearing a lot like one of the one of the easy rhetorical outs from the kind of apologists has been oh well nobody there were no crimes committed nobody's been arrested for a crime or if they have then it's just like misdemeanors of trespassing and that's innocent you know they could have just thought that they were allowed in there and all these kinds of things but a lot of times you would hear also look this wasn't an insurrection and it couldn't be an insurrection unless the mob was armed which a, I don't know if I really believe that or think, you know, it's exactly true. You can do a lot of damage with several thousand people just with their bare hands. But it turns out also that the mob very much was armed, a lot of them, to the point where close to a thousand people, they said, were kind of hanging out on the on the Washington Mon on the hill leading up to the Washington Monument facing toward the toward the White House for the Ellipse Rally. And the reason that they were hanging back and not coming in, even though the venue wasn't full, was they had all these weapons. So we heard about this from Liz Cheney's questioning. Cassidy Hutchinson spoke to it. Yeah, they had brass knuckles and body armor and knives and all sorts of things. That's just the things that got caught at the magnetometers. And then there's definitely weapons people who had glocks tucked into their belts people who had you know full ar-15 you know um walking around out near the washington monument of course this was like this came up in the hearing in the context of concern on the part of the secret service that uh that the president is there there are these weapons that fire long distances we typically don't allow that situation to exist so that was that was the conversation within the within the hearing was they wanted to get rid of the magnetometer and let my people come in they're of no danger to me but to me it, it it immediately brought to mind all the times people had said well the the mob wasn't armed you know it wasn't armed you can't call it an insurrection uh, and and things of this nature so that was um so that was one thing i would say second one on my list was related to that right he was so sure that these people being people they knew to have weapons 
who had been cited with weapons, he didn't want any. He didn't want them to, have to go through security. He knew that they were waiting because they didn't want to go through security, and he agreed with them, and he didn't care. He wanted them to be in the venue with their weapons, and brought them in, which really undercuts any, uh, you know, really what are phony concerns expressed by uh, insurrection apologists, which is. Oh, like Antifa had infiltrated, right? Antifa had infiltrated and they were coming in, they were going to do bad things. Well, if Trump thought that was even for a second true, unless he just didn't care about one of them coming into his rally and shooting him, then that would be, obviously, he would have obviously said something different, right? So also in the context of the disinformation that came immediately to, right, about Antifa, being the ones at fault, which we get into a little bit later with the deflect and blame strategy. Um, but on that, you know, kind of immediately was, um, came up where this idea that Antifa was there, like, no, Trump didn't think that nobody thought that everybody knew that these were Trump friendlies. They were there to help, you know, they were there to be his paramilitary force to, do the things that he wanted done. So third thing I noticed about this and others, if you're, if you're interested in jumping in, I see some of our speakers have started to join here or, uh, or others in the next few minutes here before we get going on the main portion of the program. But anybody who wants to talk about January 6th, I'm just kind of walking through some of what jumped out to me in terms of misinformation, but Welcome thoughts. I'm just kind of like walking through a little bit on the thread that I wrote. Okay, so the third thing is Hutchinson, Cassidy Hutchinson described in this hearing a camp world. So after this had all kind of happened, um, the, the attack was underway. Trump was not interested in shutting it down. And then kind of like people around Trump were at varying levels of enabling that impulse they knew that he was fine with it they knew that he thought the mob was right to want to hang mike pence etc so he obviously wasn't going to do anything so what do you do as an aide to that person <laughs> you adopt one of what she described as three strategies and one is kind of beg him to stop just like keep trying until he does which a lot of you know a lot of people fell into just kind of neutral maybe slink away and pretend like it's not happening just let the situation play out. And then there's those who will go kind of on the counter, counter offensive shoot, you know, these, this narrative about Trump supporters is bad. We need to, we need to say something. What she described as the deflect and blame camp, uh, I thought was, was remarkable. So, so she said, Mark Meadows is in this kind of deflect and blame. Let's, let's put out the information there about who's doing this. It's not Trump people. It's, anybody else, right? like whatever you can think of. And this is kind of where this comes from. Matt Gates also uh, on the day. I mean, I, I don't remember if it was, I think it was that night or possibly the next day. And Matt Gates was on the floor of the house in Congress. And he was speaking about what happened and started talking about facial recognition software and the cameras had picked up and, you know, they had cross-referenced it against all of these databases and found the notorious Antifa, you know, terrorists. And so that narrative got um, plugged in really early on. 
but it's a it's a strategy you know i think that that part of the hearing really made really laid that bare that the impulse to kind of like get yourself out of trouble is the same when you're it's the same for everybody especially you'll see in like children if they think they're going to be in trouble then they'll just lie you know they'll just like lie and come up with any other thing and see what works and just keep going and that's sort of what you see here with this deflect and blame camp was when we come up with that will that will possibly be accepted as a, as an explanation for what you're seeing with your own eyes, right? People are seeing this on television. Okay, no, but it was Antifa. Oh, well, so that's that's a nice fairy tale, you know? That makes me feel better. And the reason that it, right, the reason that it works is that people feel better having heard that. I'm a Trump supporter. Maybe I'm sitting in my home. I voted for him. I'm like big fan. I got all the merch. I look like some of the people who are carrying out this attack. But like, oh, it doesn't sit quite right when you are you know you're hundreds of miles away or whatever and maybe you would never have considered supporting trump in that way but obviously these people are but now you hear this fairy tale about uh the facial recognition and antifa and kind of like oh it makes you feel better so a nice tidy lesson on i think how misinformation works so cosmos i see you on here i'm kind of just doing a little freestyle here anybody who is interested in the hearings we got a couple more minutes before hopefully everybody else uh drops in and we can get going on the conspiracy land grifters discussion but whenever you're ready please request mike and happy to have your thoughts we've got cosmos hi there great how are you far so good i i i just uh downloaded and i'm actually using spaces through blue stacks on the pc and had the uh the hoops of actually setting up and granting it permissions in my fake Android phone here. Um, I did want to oh. want to add. Uh, you mentioned uh, talking about uh, you know how quickly that pivot was to oh it's not patriots it's Antifa in the Capitol. Uh, and I, yeah. I wanted to add um, over the weekend I was actually listening to uh, Knowledge Fights episode on uh, you know Cux Jones and Infowars their actions over the January 5th and January 6th. And I uh, highly recommend uh, checking that episode out. It is uh, probably three and a half hours uh, well spent. But just the, the pivot where Alex was at the Capitol on January 6th and Infowars was was being run by, I don't, I don't know who knows the hierarchy, almost like a third stringer uh, named Harrison Smith. And you hear Harrison the entire day throughout the, the entire broadcast, just cheering on what's happening. Patriots are in charge of the Capitol. And you hear live where, where Alex is trying to pivot uh, mid-insurrection, you know, at the same time, he's, he's encouraging everybody to respect the curfew and leave the Capitol. You hear Alex say Antifa. They, you know, it, it was Antifa-led uh, with some patriots following. And Harrison's like, no, 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 no. This was, this was everything we hoped and dreamed it could be. So it's it's amazing just seeing that pivot in real time, and and not even not even Infowars, not even the whole of Infowars was behind that pivot, uh, but Alex sure was. Just yeah, even the split within the within the Infowars crew that that's really interesting. That's probably sort of representative too of how it played out among a lot of Trump fans, right? Like at first seeing like they, like it must have been so thrilling to see the. The rally happened. It's probably like the biggest Trump rally maybe ever, right? And it's right there at the White House and like, oh, right. And now we're going to like go and make, make our voices heard to the Capitol. And maybe then you start to feel a little nervous because people look rowdy. 
right? <laughs> and then some real stuff starts to happen and you got to like start to consider. So to feel okay about yourself and like identifying with that team, then you like, you rationalize it, right? You find these other, you latch onto these other explanations for, um, for what you're seeing in terms of Antifa or, or whatever else. Absolutely. You almost get the, the impression uh, that, that Alex is thinking, oh, crap, you weren't supposed to actually storm the Capitol. I didn't want you to do that part. I need you to be <laughs> just bad enough that you keep tuning into my show and giving me money, buying my supplements. I didn't want you to actually go do the thing. I know. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, like, does Alex Jones have real principles or not after what he did to the Sandy Hook families? But there's certainly a spectrum, right? There's certainly a spectrum of people who are like, Okay, maybe over on the left is like, I like Trump, he's a fighter, all the way over to, I'm glad that we prepared uh, arms and contingency plans across the river, you know, to cross the river on a boat to occupy federal buildings by force, right? And then there's like all kinds of people and every point in between <laughs> that, are, that are varying levels of yay about what happened, you know? Okay, so... We'll get going on the main part here in just a minute. Uh, any other thoughts from we've, we've now got a lot of speakers up and on here about the hearing, uh, what I wrote in my thread here, just uh, just some random thoughts. I, I just to finish that thought, I guess. Number four was a lot of people knew everything, right? But they covered for him anyway. And there's the reason it seems was there's powerful people, probably Trump, right? Leaning on on those who are called to testify, Trump reads the transcripts, etc. So there was a coordinated campaign to manipulate the narrative to as as you know, as we saw earlier, that was like the immediate that was like the rapid response disinformation, but there's kind of like a longer term to sort of mitigate the damage that this causes and then allow Trump to be rehabilitated enough for some of his supporters that he's you know, he's not completely, he's not removed by the 25th Amendment. He's not immediately removed by Congress through impeachment. And then like longer term that he'll be in position to run again. And then I thought just for fun, since we're getting into conspiracy land, grifters, Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn makes a, makes a brief appearance. He is high up on my list anyway of, of the grifters in the election disinformation space. His only thing that he wanted to come and say, though, was my answer to do you believe in peaceful transitions might incriminate me. <laughs> so, OK. Thanks that. Thanks for that, Mike Flynn. Thanks for all your contributions. So I'm going to get into the the main portion here. It's been it's been a few um, and we will get started on our main topic. I think for sure we'll still have other things to say about. January 6th uh, and this hearing in particular as we go throughout. But since we had some idea here, we'll just sort of walk through. So welcome, everybody. This is Prism Info Meetup number 11. We call it Conspiracy Land Grifters. If you don't know about Prism by now, we are a misinformation media company, just small little outfit. We also have an affiliate support group for the loved ones of misinformation victims. So if anyone's interested in that, I encourage you to DM and I can point you the way with like Q coming back, for example, uh, we're, we're seeing more activity in that group than we have in, in recent months. So it seems to be coming back around. 
if you're new to spaces, I, I can add you in. I can have up to like 10 or 12 maybe speakers at a time. So try to honor. But if, you, if you're kind of done for the time being, you can drop yourself out as a speaker to um, make space for others. So follow us so you know when these meet, meetups are happening and when the newsletter drops. And with that, the newsletter is every week. We do one called This Week in Misinformation, publishes late on Thursday nights. Uh, we send it out as an email and then we'll post it up here. And basically, this is a fact-based clearinghouse for everything just to stay in the misinformation fight, kind of what's happening, good work being done in a lot of different places related to misinformation. We just we drop a lot of links and then there's a summary of top stories, easy five-minute read. So appreciate all the work that everybody does that goes into that. One additional plug for projects, uh, for a project that's near to the hearts of many people here. Our friends McPasteface and Brent Lee are former truthers who are now working to reach others in the rabbit hole. If you or someone you know wants to contribute to this effort, namely we could really use someone to do some editing for a series of short videos, for example, uh, we'd very much love to hear from you. So please send me a, send me a message. Okay, I'm going to do a little intro for the folks that I see online now. And just as a, just as a caveat, the, the scheduling of the hearing on a surprise basis did throw a little bit of our scheduling into chaos. So not everyone's able to be here right on time, but hopefully they'll be coming in later. Right now we have, we'll start with Paola. Paola's 2020 election disinformation debunker from the UK. She specializes in areas of Fulton, Georgia, Doug Logan of Cyber Ninjas fame and 2000 Mules. Cosmos does IT, cybersecurity. He's taken on elections bunkum to good effect. And David Gilbert writes on the misinfo sphere for advice. His work is great. You should check him out. Garrett Archer is the data guru at ABC 15 News in Arizona. He's a former political consultant and uh, has done some really nice debunking work on all the nonsense that's happened in Maricopa. Poker politics, Mike, card dealer, podcaster, game enthusiast, debunker, and exposes Q for all his failed prophecies on the regular. We get you, Mike. Um, Trapezoid of Discovery is an infosec engineer and counters elections misinformation with the Q Origins project. And who else do we got here? Did I miss anybody? Yes. Teddy Wilson's journalist, researcher, consultant, and has a newsletter himself called Radical Reports, which I recommend. And another newsletter author, Rosalie. Uh, Rosalie does the Hoax Lines newsletter, also out of Substack. So you got you got your like little, you got your not evil Substack crew in here today, basically, is what you're looking at. <laughs> so thanks everybody for joining and yeah some of you are laughing that's an inside joke that not everybody is going to get uh we've got some other folks when they uh are able to get onto the microphone i will introduce them as they come on but with that i think we just kind of jump in so first on the discussion is let's consider the trends in disinformation grifting as you observe them just like stepping back from everything has disinformation grifting gotten worse in the past three or four years is it the same is it less why or why not hey prism i'll start this is garrett um i'm sure uh if, if any of you have not noticed or if you have noticed um 
one of our favorite grifters, Joven Pulitzer, was in Scottsdale yesterday doing on uh, a numerous cavalcade of uh, what he, you know, his allegations. Uh, and so it appears that 602 days after the 2020 election, especially, you know, when we're talking about the core group of grifters, I don't see any let up at all. Uh, in fact, if, if anything, they're, they're accelerating, you know, with 2000 mules having been released, it just seems that it's getting worse. And uh, one of the things I noticed yesterday most about Joven's presentation is that uh, it's, he, they, they are shameless in the fact that they will just continue to throw all the darts at the wall and, uh, you know, not even, they haven't even uh, narrowed down anything. They're, they're just continuing. They go with the vote switching algorithm. They'll go with fake paper. They'll go with Sharpie bleed through uh, numerous things that have been disproven countless times. And yet they will still continue to make these allegations in a public forum. And unfortunately, there is a large plurality of people that will continue to accept these allegations. That's great. Uh, sorry, Teddy, I saw your hand up. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think taking a, a really, you know, 30,000 foot view, even if you, if you want to include globally, right, I think kind of the entire kind of grift uh, industrial complex has, has definitely increased over the last five to three years. Um, and, I, and I think that includes everything from the Q kind of misinformation type sphere to the alliance that we've seen between radical uh, 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 trans exclusionary radical feminists and TERFs and the radical right. There's been a, a uh, alliance between those two folks that has seen a lot of grifting kind of misinformation around, around genetics. This intersects internationally. I think if, if there's a, a terminology that you haven't heard of before that I think you should be really aware of, and that's it's called geology. I'm starting to see that more and more in the U.S. context, but that's very prevalent in, in the European and South American context. But yeah, I think you know when you look at um, kind of all areas of the radical right, kind of the amount of, of grift and misinformation has just increased rapidly uh, across many different topics and sectors. And a lot of it is intertwined um, and intermingled. Uh, I think Q is a good example of that too, because you see Q, kind of the Q kind of and Q adjacent things have absorbed a lot of various things too. So yeah, I think it, from a from a real kind of thirty thousand foot view, like yeah, definitely the last three to five years, it's it's accelerated at a, at a massive scale, and it's uh, infected a lot of different areas. Uh, David, were you going to? Yeah, like, I, I agree absolutely with, with Teddy and Jarrett and that, that it's, it's increasing dramatically in recent years and it, there's no sign of let up. In fact, it's accelerating, if anything. But I suppose it's also because there is now such a huge audience for it. I remember speaking to Clay Clark, who does the Reawaken America tours about 18 months ago. Or maybe less, maybe 
just before last summer and he'd just he had done a series of them and there were huge numbers of people at them, like thousands of people at these kind of revival type events where they mixed QAnon and evangelical Christianity and anti-vaxxers and anything else you want to throw in. But he told me at the time that he was maybe doing one or two more and that was it, he was giving up. But I just checked his website the other day and like he hasn't stopped doing them and he's got, I don't know, another half a dozen on his calendar at the moment. And there's just no let up. There's a huge demand for this stuff, for this kind of, people just want to hear from these people. And there's just more and more people coming out of the woodwork every day new people to add to the list of grifters who are either capitalizing on the election conspiracy stuff or QAnon stuff directly or kind of Q adjacent stuff or anti-vaxxer stuff or evangelical stuff that is just phenomenal. And it, it just means that this isn't going to slow down anytime soon because there's just such a huge proportion of the population willing or eager to hear about this stuff and pay to either attend events or subscribe to Substacks or to, you know, pay in some way to get access to this information that they feel is kind of key to the future of their survival of or of their society. Yeah. Now I like the way you're you're pointing that out because there definitely has been a demand and pull for for material than than like supply rises to. And in the context of the the disinformation economy, you might call it, it's like people willing to pay then there will be people willing to provide it right so i i do see that in in demand i wonder like what's driving it like what about our is it because we're getting more polarized politically is there something about social media that's making us all like way too aware of one another's thoughts and then like we want to be faster to know things than the other person that leads us into error or like you know, how, how does that break down? Because uh, I do agree it's increasing. I just wonder, like, what's the explanation for that? <laughs> Cosmos? So in, in short, and, and I hate painting, uh, you know, half of a society like this, but really weaponized misinformation uh, through news sources uh, and some that are less news-based, uh, some where maybe the, the scruples where you might have used used to have journalistic integrity you've kind of lost that through a certain i don't i'm going to say fox news and and everything surrounding it really and just seeing that kind of that lockstep where politicians aren't paying a price for lying when blatant blatant lies where the people uh, that are showing up on fox are able to to move right out and still bring an audience and make money doing it and and really how much of this comes comes back to money they're just the audience is willing, the audience is eager, and the audience is hungry for it. You could have uh, the the biggest amplification of your message. Uh, you know, you could be on every platform, but you still have to have an audience, and that audience is there. And they've they've kind of just been grown over the last twenty five years or so, just tailored where here is the one source that we go, and anything else is a lie. There's there's not any discernment anymore. So I that's. You know, that's kind of rambling, but that's kind of my take on it. I was going to say, let's move on. But I see Teddy's got a thought and Rosalie. So let's go just in that order. Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing to what was just said. And I think it's it's important to underline that the mainstream media has been complicit in this, uh, particularly when I think about outlets like uh, NPR 
right, that give a platform to a lot of the activists and organizations that traffic in misinformation, whether it's, you know, going to um, anti-immigrant hate groups for comments on immigration policy to anti-abortion groups that traffic in, in uh, a whole lot of misinformation, right? There's a a grain tendency among legacy media to try to provide balance, right? So-called balance to all of their coverage. And in doing that, th th there's um, a complicity in spreading misinformation when they, when they platform activists and organizations that, that peddle this kind of misinformation across a variety of, of news topics. And I think that's not only is it, you know, folks being able to, find whatever news fits their news point, uh, a viewpoint, you know, going beyond Fox News, right? You see the success of media organizations like One American News Network and Newsmax, right? But also you're getting this kind of misinformation on mainstream media platforms as well. So I think that's important to underline. Yeah, cool. Rosalie, and then poker, I think. By the way, Rosalie, I introduced her newsletter, but she also finished a master's in interdisciplinary public health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And she's done a lot of work on disinformation. Her thesis covered disasters and disinformation. So I think I did your intro a little too quick last time. I just wanted to shout that out because it's good stuff. Well, thank you for that. Um, the aspect I wanted to kind of point out with this the element that I haven't heard that I think belongs in this conversation is how bad actors have learned over time. And I think we've really demonstrated that this is a very, that social media and a lot of these disinformation content creators, shall we call them, it's, it's an effective way to manipulate people for a lot of different reasons and i worry about what bad actors of many different kinds learned during the pandemic and the way it opens us to a bad actor who is prepared in the future you know for a natural outbreak that that could be um paired with the right kind of disinformation could be worse than you know a biological weapon there's no need for it and i think that we just are really underestimating our vulnerability in terms of national security um and i think that threat in particular um it's only going to grow because now that these things are known to be effective you know of course we also are seeing a digital mercenaries real businesses where that the people aren't ideologically driven, but you can buy influence. Um, and well, there's no consequences for this. So, so nobody's going to stop. Uh, if they're getting what they want, it's going to continue until we disincentivize it. Yeah. So. I think that's a great point about national security. I think that's a whole, that's a topic for a whole separate meetup. And I've got, got one trying to cook it up in the works to see who we can get on the, on to speak for that, but it's a really rich set of issues to explore there. Poker, go ahead. What I was going to say is that um, I really think there's this very large audience of people who wants to 
live in this world where Trump is this super popular, super heroic, just knight in shining armor here, who's here to save America and all that great stuff. And that I'm seeing Paulo and Cosmos in here, there in my 2000 Mules uh, debunk group, just seeing like how much of an audience there is for uh, disinformation about Trump won the election. Trump's really still the president. Uh, like the military still follows Trump. Uh, Patel Patriot, one of the grifters that I follow, like he is the last, uh, he's the, like the only new quote unquote new star QAnon's made in forever. And mm. that was because he came up with a fantasy that Trump's still running America secretly behind the shadows. And, <laughs> uh, Devolution. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and in the, and during the, I, one thing that I really think is underrated by a lot of people is that 2020 COVID definitely drove a lot of people to all these conspiracy theories. But I think another thing I think really had a big impact was the fact that Trump was down 10 or more points to Biden everywhere you looked, every poll, all the time, even Fox News. And if you're this locked in your house, shut in, MAGA supporter, and you're getting the bad news from everywhere all the time that your boy's going to go down in flames in November. And then you go on the internet and you find QAnon and these people who are telling you Trump's going to win all 50 states. Trump's going to win a landslide. Trump is secretly like the most popular politician America's ever had. And I just think that that reality, living in that reality, the reality where you're right and your guy is beloved by America and the world was very captivating to these people. And mm. they they had, they, they, they've spent since the election explaining how he got jobbed, how it was rigged, how it was fake. I mean, 2000 Mules is just Mike Lindell with the slicker packaging and the packet captures. They, they're, <laughs> they're just, they're ne people want to hear that Trump got screwed. They're desperate to hear it. And now we finally found uh, Dinesh and True the Vote. We found a couple of grifters that had the slick packaging, had the marketing, had the ability to sell something. And we've had, um, I, I know the, te the, yeah, the Texas Republican Party drafted a resolution saying, we just watched 2,000 mules and we want the elections are certified. <laughs> the Maricopa... Because, the, the Maricopa because yeah, because they weren't convinced before, right? Like right, the Texas right. GOP wasn't already. So it no. starts. That's a good point. It starts with strong feelings, yeah. usually, and whether it's about Trump or whether it's about yeah. I don't want to wear a mask or get a shot, then like you sort of work your way backwards, and you'll believe a lot of things. So the the grifter comes along as like sniffing out those feelings, right? right. And like, how yeah. can I prey I, on that? Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to finish. I just wanted to finish real quick with uh, Maricopa County's Republican Party just drafted a resolution also claiming they wanted the election to certified because of 2000 mules. When you're Maricopa County, you had the audit. We spent three months of cyber ninjas <laughs> there. And then they resolved it with Biden winning by more votes than originally thought. And Maricopa County is like intensive audit, but guess what? We saw Dinesh D'Souza's terrible movie. Boom. We're convinced. Our Deep feelings are still just too strong. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Mike. That's good. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to toss over to Philip Bump. I haven't introduced yet. Philip is national correspondent for The Washington Post. He writes what I consider the consistently best analysis on the issues I care most about. His newsletter is called How to Read This Chart. And it's brilliant. So follow and read Philip people and 
with that, I'll hand it over. Well, thank you. It's very kind. Um, yeah, I just want to say a couple things. I mean, I think there are, there are two bits of context here that are important to remember. Um, the first is that this this grift, particularly on the right, has been happening for quite some time. It started, uh, I mean, you know, it's grifts have been eternal, but this particular iteration of the grift, the, the elites are doing you wrong grift, started with the Tea Party more than a decade ago. And there were all these hustlers who really capitalized on this idea that older Americans felt as though the world was changing around them in an unhappy way. And that if they gave enough money to the right Tea Party Express bus groups, that they would be able to ameliorate this. And, you know, this was the big blowback to, you know, a black man being elected president and so on and so forth. So, so, so there was this strain of anti-elitism, anti-leftism that was predicated on vacuuming up money uh, that then Donald Trump slid very naturally right into, right? Donald Trump spent his entire career trying to separate people from their money based on dubious claims about real estate. Now he's recognizing there's this way to do it. And so it's, this is also, you, you cannot fail to recognize the fact that, that this is a Trumpian to a large extent. Yes, there's obviously social media plays a role, but you know, when you consider the way that conspiracy theories usually work, it's usually those who are out of power who are theorizing about what conspiracies are keeping them out of power. But here was something different, new, which is the guy who's in power is spreading the conspiracy theories because it's advantageous to him to retain power. So you have this guy who is in this unusual position of both having power and claiming that power is being withheld through, through these various conspiracies that then QAnon fits into, that then all these other you know, ideas, you know, election fraud, all these things flow downstream from everyone who's a Trump supporter to some extent is willing to buy into his misrepresentations about the world and to excuse those misrepresentations. And that, on top of this existing ecosystem of people handing over money, you know, what you see reflected, if you look at Donald Trump's campaign emails now, they're the same thing as you would have seen from the, you know, the Tea Party Express hustlers a decade ago, not to call out that organization by name specifically, but those sorts of folks in grift. And that Donald Trump was then in a position of power and saying, hey, we still have all these, you know, there are all these conspiracies which are true is a really, really, really important factor to all of this. And, you know, when you talk to QAnon people, you know, what you hear that, that, that Trump was so entwined in QAnon is not an accident. Yeah, no, all of that. And also to point out, Trump is kind of this perfect convergence of things uh, where people connect with him feel so viscerally like they love him right so like that feeling drives it and then he's got the shamelessness he has like no relationship with the truth that can be discerned he does he just it just like doesn't register for him at all and so it doesn't bother him to just like use lies to make people love him even more and then like help him do the things that he wants to do and so the combination, I think you're right, right? In, a, in the sense that it is a Trumpian on, is like that those two people are central to explaining it. And then it gets normalized, right? This kind of like disregard for the, for what is actually real and what is not real is just sort of, you know, for a big chunk of the population gets thrown out of the window. It obviously doesn't matter anymore. So like what matters is the wins. And like we have this big media machine um, to advance ours really powerfully. And so you see, you saw that, you know, Trump comes along, that gets normalized. And now it's sort of, it's sort of baked in. It's sort of part of the, part of the culture, which is just really remarkable in a lot of ways. Okay. We do got to move on, but Cosmos, I, I saw you had your hand up, I think first among the set of people right now. And 
Paula, I'm going to click you through. Yep, I'll be quick too. I just wanted to, to mention, so so Philip brought up uh, the Tea Party and that it's this has sort of been uh, evolving over the last decade, maybe 15 years. And I just wanted to, to point out Tina Peter, or sorry, uh, Catherine Engelbrick with uh, True the Vote. Uh, her, her entire origin was with the King Street Patriots, the Tea Party uh, movement. And so what they've learned is maybe maybe we toned down that although it's still a dog whistle to the right, but now we've got this 501c3. It's, we're, a, we're a nonpartisan charity uh, pushing our election fraud claims now to give it almost some semblance of, oh no, it's, it's nonpartisan. It's not uh, the Tea Party doing this. And it very much is the Tea Party doing this. Um, yeah. And then uh, Mike mentioned too, uh, we're on the topic of uh, 2000 Mules. Mike mentioned that Dinesh uh, put more polish on his movies than Mike Lindell did on his Absolute Interference, Absolute Nine to Zero, Absolute Series. I uh, well, not to be outdone. All those off the I, top of my head. Yeah, funny. I sure. Yeah, I definitely don't have a notepad up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mike's Mike's not going to be outdone. Uh, Lindell, that is. Uh, selection code drops August 20th. Uh, it's, he's got a, a, a newly polished movie uh, about Tina Peters and he's releasing it for free. And I think it's important too, to recognize that some of these guys are true believers, people like Mike Lindell that are willing to, to put everything that they've earned into these lies. And then you've got the others uh, that are taking advantage. You've got people like Greg Phillips, uh, who, who really seem like they don't care. They're not the true believers. They're just in it for the cash. And this is this is the current grift. And it's uh, making them millions of dollars. Selection code. Selection code sounds like it could be a movie about salt rotation. Am I right? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, it's so real quick. Uh, just just like with uh, Joven and his kinematic artifact detection, they might take a term uh, and spin it into their own definition of it. It doesn't mean what it what the rest of us already oh, yeah. agreed that it means. 100%. Can I just, uh, just a very quick point. The, the, the point about the transition from the Tea Party to the Trump era is very well taken. Amy Kramer, the person who was in charge of the rally at the Ellipse of January 6th, old Tea Party hands. I mean, it's the same grift continuing through. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we need to do a couple cage matches. So let's, uh, let's pivot quickly to uh, number two here, which is, okay, first cage match is kind of across the disinformation scene. You see these different categories. Right. You have obviously we've talked a lot about elections. We've touched briefly on covid vaccines. Maybe there's others. But like which category do you see as having the most grifty set of characters, just like kind of the the worst of the worst? Or are they are they just in different buckets and you can't compare them? And then we'll get into individual. <laughs> we'll do a natural we'll just throw everybody in and we'll decide, like, who's the who's the worst of the worst among the whole set. David, uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty tough to say because, like, at the moment, there's so many people who have jumped on the election bandwagon. We spoke about you know all these movies that are coming out and all the money that's being poured in, and Mike Lindell or Patrick Burns seem to be behind funding pretty much all of it at some level. Um, but there are so many people who have come out of the woodwork who have been around for years but like and Joven is kind of a, a perfect example who we spoke about earlier he's been around for years but has just kind of jumped on this completely and he is 
you know, these, these people are, are effectively trying to, they're claiming that they're working to protect democracy when in fact they're doing the complete opposite. Mm. Um, and then, you know, how do you compare that to anti-vaxxers or COVID deniers who are, you know, threatening individual people's health by spreading misinformation about uh, vaccines? Yeah. And then you look at QAnon conspiracists who are, radicalizing their followers to a certain extent and we've seen over the last year more and more examples of how that stuff has moved from online to offline and really impacting people's lives so in short i don't really have an answer i think they're all terrible people but at the moment i think the election conspiracy um grifters are having a field day they are making money they are really influencing a lot of things and they potentially have, in terms of generational shift, because the likes of Tina Peters is at the moment, you know, and she's having her primary today. If she gets into office um, in November, then that potentially could have huge implications for how elections are run across the country, and that's being repeated around the country. So potentially, yeah. if the worst kind of case scenario happens with these people who have pushed election denial... And that, I think, could potentially have the most long-term and damaging impact. Yeah, it's bad enough for somebody who's openly, you know, supported using hashtags, um, QAnon things, where, like, Tina Peters uh, being in office is, I mean, she's just, like, so deep into it and has actually been indicted. So that actually says a lot maybe about the people of Colorado. I don't know. I, I, I like Colorado generally, but why is she even... Does she even still have a chance? I haven't been following the race that closely. It just sadly, yes, she's competitive. There, there aren't many polls, but she's competitive. Great, and she's raised she's raised so much money compared oh. to her her opposition. It's it's incredible. I wonder has she raised more or less than Ron Watkins? Probably more, right? A lot, a lot more. Ron's Ron's not raised. Ron's like really. I done. I created because he basically with he was she was the um she was like the whistleblower right and he hyped her up before the cyber symposium the whole thing, and then now she's kind of shot right past him in terms of prominence in the, in the space and and political kind of sway. Paula, did you have a thought? Uh oh, did we lose Paula? Okay, uh, Rosalie, then. Yeah, so when I look at the who's the worst, the worst, I think I categorize it in immediate and kind of long-term consequences. It's hard to compete with, you know, what uh, David was saying in terms of uh, what is an immediate and existential threat. I think the loss of um, a stable state would be difficult to top. Um in terms of long term, I think that the potential harm and downstream consequences of these medical grifters in particular is um, has yet to be appreciated. Um, yes, they encouraged choices that led hundreds of thousands of people to die, but they have also corrupted kind of the relationship that many people have with information and they're teaching them a new way of information gathering that isn't reliable and it's going to lead them to make poor choices overall in their life um and um and of course they're encouraging people to 
make repeated choices that can harm them. I really think long term, this mistrust that we've sown um, in the CDC, which most people trusted, you know, before the pandemic, um, these are these are threats that we've yet to deal with. That's long term. If we have no trust in health authorities over the long term, like what does that do to us 10 years from now, 20 years from now? I mean, it could be it could be quite a lot. OK, Paula, you're back. Thank you. Um, I'm going to answer your earlier question with regard to the cage match, but in, do it in terms of what the motivations are. And I think there's the um, ever-present anti-government feeling, which comes with um, against an entitlement. The idea is that nobody should tell me what to do. But also there's a very strong um, racism thread through things. So through the vote, uh, their use of uh, the acronym NGO, if you add a vowel and a consonant, it looks like something else. And I also suspect that mules was chosen because uh, M-U-L with some other letters means something else. Um, and they specifically looked for drop for Dropbox videos, I believe, with, of people with color. So regardless of who the players are, those sentiments are still ever present. So there'll always be an appetite and people who'll step in place and cause trouble. Yeah. Um, okay, I wanna get into some specific individuals here. And um, I think the best place to start with that because I'm quantitatively minded. Um, I'd love to invite Ian Kennedy, if you're on, you can request your mic. Um, We'd love to have you speak to your paper. So there was a, um, let me scroll up so I get this right. Um, there was a paper uh, by the University of Washington. Um, and Ian led, this, led the team writing the paper, working on this. Um, they are a doctoral candidate there. And the paper is about repeat spreaders. So who are these people? Um, kind of at the top of the list, I remember it correctly, is, is James Woods. And so they've taken sort of this network analysis approach and, and showed, you know, out of the things that are being shared that are just straight up misinformation, who's doing that, who are the key nodes, um, and all of that. So uh, I don't know if anybody's got thoughts on that, or Ian, if you're able to turn on your your mic, I'd love to have you speak to that Um to that paper, but thoughts in the meantime. And uh, Rosalie, I know you do disinformation network mapping. Um, maybe you could give us all a quick primer and how that kind of works and how we can learn things from it. Um, so uh, network analysis is, is essentially looking at nodes, which in this case could be accounts online, people, and the relationships to one another. And, and what those relationships tell us, are they very close off from other communities? Um, are, um, in the case of botnets, they're often really hyper-connected and they're all following one another. Um, and uh, I, I find a really uh, robust way of demonstrating relationships um, because it's one thing to tell people that accounts are behaving inauthentically, 
but it's something else to show them what that looks like. So I think that this is also um, a strategy that we need to leverage more in the future. Um, and it's also harder to um, kind of conceal an authentic activity. It's harder to hide those relationships when we're um, calculating different different metrics about the relationships. Yeah. So I, if I'm being totally honest, sometimes my reaction when you post something and like have a comment on this network graph, I kind of am like, huh. And then I wish I could ask you, <laughs> I wish I'd ask you, so you're saying this graph looks weird, but like, why, you know? So I, I don't think I've developed a, a good enough sense yet as to what normal looks like to be able to, to interpret that in, um, uh, in maybe the way that I should, um, but I hope to. So keep doing what you do. I think we maybe lost Ian. So let's just um, let's just throw it out there then. Who are the worst individual grifters? I mentioned James Woods, uh, identified by that paper. I could pull up some of the other like top three or whatever. But who comes to mind when we say the word grifter? Uh, Gonna add David Cross and uh, OTGA from Fulton County, Georgia. Sure. Let's add them. <laughs> There's not an official list. It's just kind of, I'm curious, um, you know, from, from the perspective of people here, kind of what that looks like. Trap. I think, it, I think it was interesting how much damage uh, David Clements was able to do in Otero County, New Mexico. Uh, he, he kind of wrote the election denial wave to you know, a, a semi-celebrity status in that circle. And as a result of his supposed audit uh, that he worked with, uh, uh, man, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, Echo Mail. Cooey Griffin. Uh, no, Cooey Griffin Dr. was Shiva. one of the... the yes, thank you. Oh, she's Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, as a result of the audit that Dr. Shiva and, and Clements completed to, to some extent in Otero. They were able to, to use that and hours of public discussions with the commissioners to completely obstruct the certification of the primary for several days. And uh, even though the commissioners eventually relented, it was essentially by force of the state and not because they had some change of heart. Uh, so it, I think that was an example of how some of these you know, relatively small influencers when you look at them compared to, to other people, you know, like James Wood can have an outsized impact impact depending on where they decide to target their efforts and, and how they go about that. Hmm. Cool. So that's New Mexico. We've covered Colorado a little bit, although we haven't mentioned Joe Oltman. Um, there's a whole like conversation to be had probably on podcasters. And I wish maybe we have Stuart Thompson, Stuart Thompson, if you're here. Stuart wrote for wrote on the podcast like vehicle for the New York Times a few weeks ago, and I thought it was really uh, really interesting. Um, so let's get to oh, so we got some hands up. Yes, Philip, and then Ian. And we talked about through the vote, and I might have missed it, but I think Phillips deserves a special shout out just because he's got both a longstanding record of offering up nonsense about election fraud, but. You know, when you dig into it, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, when you dig down into 2,000 mules, it is 100% entirely a function of his 
non-credible word that D'Souza, everyone else, Catherine Engelbrecht apparently is taking his word for it. And there's just no evidence at all there's anything to it. Uh, special mention. Yeah. So sometimes the superpower is like getting other people, you know, getting influential people to just sort of like go with you on this thing, like kind of snow them over with some technical jargon or whatever you do. Um, and then and then get them to like be the booster. At this point, Dinesh D'Souza's ego is so tied up in the film that he can never like abandon Greg Phillips anymore, right? So you sort of like got him to to do this thing. So anyway, yeah, they, I think that's kind of an interesting um, a- angle to think about. Ian, go ahead. Oh, Ian, yes, you're on. We were gonna have you talk about your paper. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I uh, had some trouble figuring out the. I didn't one of these Twitter spaces before. All good. Um, so thanks for having me. But yeah, I wanted to also shout out the other people at the top of our list are, in addition to James Woods, are Gateway Pundit, uh, Tom Fitton. Um, a lot of the Trump family managed to get up there. Uh, but I think that some of the, the kind of techniques that people have been talking about, um, I think the people, person I really want to, or the people I really want to shout out are kind of some of those unnamed users, because a lot of these people get a lot of uh, spread by uh, connecting with people who maybe only have a thousand followers or um, and only follow a thousand people and kind of develop these follow back networks um, and they can get th- get medium sized things to go big by using these kind of mass techniques uh, and we're really interested in looking into those people in the future as well people whose names we know but it connects to some of the people people things people were talking about before which is that it's not only that there's a market for this kind of misinformation, but there are people who are willing to like go to bat and spend the time to spread and uh, to engage with this misinformation in a way that seems to be really harder. uh, What we might just call information, you know, misinformation is not only a lot cheaper than information, but it's a lot more fun. And I think that that uh, these top people, as well as their supporters connect to those things. (laughs) It is fun. Yeah, I think that's interesting about the difference between um, the big accounts, right? People who have a big following and can put things out and therefore have impact as opposed to the smaller ones that are like tightly interconnected and are doing their coordinated thing. And it's sort of like, it makes me think of like, you could have a boom box, big boom box in like the living room of a house and you'll probably be able to hear it everywhere. So that's kind of like your big platform as opposed to like, you could wire your whole house with speakers that are, they're a lot smaller, but you can position them such that the harmonics kind of like amplify one. Another. You know, there's like an acoustic science kind of thing you can do. And maybe that's an analog for how they, how they make things blow up um, online uh, using that kind of turfing technique. Okay, um, so Teddy, I think you had your hand up, and then Cosmos. Yeah, there's someone that um, I'd be interested in hearing everybody's thoughts on. Someone who has, you know, who's a celebrity who's had a massive social media following, who over the past year or two has started to kind of rebrand himself as kind of a conspiracy theorist, kind of in the model of like a Glenn Beck kind of, you know, like just asking questions kind of person. And that's been Russell Brand. If you've been oh. following his YouTube channel over the past year or so has really, I think, kind of glommed onto this and maybe saw kind of an opportunity 
to like grift and make a lot of money at this, you know, he's getting millions of views on YouTube. So I, I, I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on, on that kind of part of this, because, you know, as most people are talking about, it's mostly like folks that are unknown trying to build their brand, but then you have this, this legit famous person kind of seeing, see, seemingly seeing an opportunity to kind of grab onto this. I don't know if uh, David will agree of what's happening in Ireland, but in the UK, for sure, we always thought it was bonkers. Yeah, but like, I, I think he's a fascinating character, though. I, I kind of see him in a similar way to, to in a lot of respects, to Joe Rogan, that he is very capable, he's very eloquent, he's, like, he can turn a phrase really easily, and he's an engaging character. No, he, he grew, I, I grew quite tired of him quite quickly. He, he, you know, he, he's kind of grates on you as a, as a person. And, uh, but he, as an interviewer and as like, I can see the appeal and why he's built up this audience, but I absolutely agree with Teddy that the, what he's done is he has just slowly and kind of almost, invisibly moved from just being this kind of comedian actor guy to this I'm just asking questions guy but all he's doing is platforming misinformation to a huge audience and giving it credibility by even having the people that he's having on his podcast um, in the same way that Rogan does and Rogan holds his hands up when he's criticized saying oh, I you know I was only asking questions I, I didn't I don't agree with it I'm just letting this person speak to my millions and millions of listeners um so yeah he's a he's a really interesting really interesting character and, and potentially quite dangerous given don't, the the reach he has yeah i don't agree with it i just don't take my responsibility to my audience seriously that's like another there's a whole other initiative that i have like dreamed of for a while which would be like let's get some celebrities together for like a coalition for the responsible use of massive platforms, right? And you could get the ones who are like actually interested in doing something about the problem of misinformation and the Nicki Minaj's and uh, Russell Brands of the world, and kind of like say, look, this is there's ways to just think about what you're putting out there before you do. And I don't know if that would that would help, but like to the extent you get some star power on the other side, maybe that would be useful. Um. So, Garrett, I saw you had your hand up when we were talking about New Mexico, and I mentioned Arizona. Maybe you were going to chime in there. Well, yeah, what, what I was going to say, we were talking about the, the heavy hitters as far as the grifters are concerned. And, you know, the, the, the question on my mind when it comes to that is, you know, what is it that is, uh, and, and of course, it's, it's already somewhat been answered, but, you know, what what is the sort of the primary driver here? Are we looking at, you know, when it when we're talking about sort of the worst of the worst, we're we talking about the ones that have the most reach and resources or, you know, you know, this is the question, the ones with the most reach and resources or the ones that are sort of the seeds, the ones like the Greg Phillips and the Russell Ramslin and Phil Waldron, you know, the people that actually, I mean, if you go back and you look at the, the, I believe it was a Washington post or in the whole election and, and how, and, you know, everything basically originated from uh, Phil Waldron and Russ Ramslin and, uh, you know, and, and while they're not as prominent as far as what we see in Santa and uh, what we see in uh, just sort of just just in, in, in the in the sphere, obviously they have 
they're still making money. They're still doing something, and their reach is still just on the you know, in in the background, still so great. And sort of that's 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 sort of on my mind when it comes to you know how do we rank these people? Yeah, this is a good question about what do we mean by worst? And there's a whole kind of criteria you could think of or different weights you would place on those values. Um, and I think it's also really useful to break out the, I don't know what you would call them, like personas, right? Within the grifty griftosphere is like, there's the, as you call them, the cedars. They kind of come up with the technical language and the jargon. And even, even things like January 6th, right? Like John Eastman is sort of the cedar of this idea that you can just have the vice president do this thing, right? Correct. Yeah. When like Trump, who's not a lawyer, cares nothing about it, knows nothing about it, it's just like, oh, I hear what you're saying. Sounds great. Let's run with that. Like everybody listen to John. <laughs> and it's the same thing that Dinesh does with Greg Phillips or, or you know, and ASOG and Phil Waldron. Like you, you see that. So there's that. And then there's kind of the, there's like the mid-level sort of amplifier, somebody who, has a lot of name recognition or has a big platform and and either wittingly or unwittingly kind of like takes information in from those cedars and and pushes it out um my my mind's running now i want to like i want to like map it out i think unfortunately and this is this is just an anecdote on my part but i just sort of my opinion is that you know when we're talking about the russell brands and the Nicki Nicki minajs and, and sort of the the you know the celebrity type you're really talking about, you know, sort of this inclination in the human mind to believe that being open-minded is to ask questions and to not really understand what that actually means because most people don't really understand what it is to ask questions. So they just take, you know, and they, they take every question with sort of the same validity and, and pride themselves on being Unfortunately, when you combine that with our other predilection of having uh, a very... Uh, uh, you know, worldviews that tend to either move radically to the right or the left for a lot of people, it, it sort of leads them down that rabbit hole. And, uh, you know, it's to me, that's one of the biggest problems with someone in the media is is when you have this this large group of people that are I'm just asking questions, but they don't know the right questions to ask. And the people that do know how the, the right questions to ask are are, are always vilified as either having an agenda or having just just sort of that expert bias. Well, they're an expert, so you know, we really don't need to listen to them because they're an elite or, or what have you. Right, yeah. As I see it, the, the biggest problem in, in that regard is not that people don't know how to ask the right questions, is that they don't know how to figure out if a question has already been answered. You know what I mean? Like all of the yeah, stuff that's a good point. or the Sharpies or whatever, like – they get debunked immediately, but they live on forever because no, like it's not part of our habits. You know, like most people don't stop and just think like, Oh, maybe there's an answer to that. Maybe it's not just like a, well, what about the box that they pulled out from under the table? You know, like still a year and a half later, rocks that got pulled out, out from under the table, even though like it's patently ridiculous and uh, you know, there's nothing behind it. And we're going to, by the way, this, my theory on the theory is of this sergeant at arms who has now died is it's going to be one of these things, right? Like Tucker's yeah. going to talk about how everybody has all these questions and it's related to January 6th. And like those questions are going to be answered and still like 
it will just continue on kind of forever. And I don't know what you do about that. Like, yeah, I mean, as I pointed out in the beginning, uh, you know, with with Jovan Pulitzer's presentation in Scottsdale yesterday, he he just he quite literally just rehashed nearly every conspiracy theory that surrounds the Maricopa County election, regardless of of any audit. Uh, and I'm I'm even talking about that the uh, the actual audit done by the Allies. Um, and and he just rehashed everything, regardless of even what the, what what they debunked in their own report. Uh, it it didn't matter. The the lie continues with no foundation whatsoever, even from sort of those. Yeah. Hey, Garrett, I think we're losing you a little bit. Um, but yes, exactly right. You just you throw that out, and even if it's been answered, you just say, and nobody has an answer for this. Why is there no answer for that? <laughs> <laughs> which is a lie on top of a lie. It's like you're asking the question to make somebody believe something that isn't true. And then you say something patently false right afterwards, which is how come nobody will answer this question when it's obviously has been cosmos. Yeah. Oh, really quick. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I actually have to start. It's, it's time to tape. So uh, thanks yeah. for having me on prism. And I appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thanks Garrett. And Thank we're gonna you. wrap up a minute for everybody else. It's cool. I don't have a show to get to. So <laughs> yeah, 600 days later, and uh, we're still seeing the the claim that there were 20 or 30 million more votes than registered voters. And somehow that sticks despite it making absolutely no sense. Oh, yeah. uh, but and what my hand was up for, angry, uh, yep, yeah, go ahead. Working on it. Yeah, despite angry fleas and so many of us, uh, fleas, yeah, patiently explaining every time. But any, it's funny, he calls himself angry fleas and he's the most patient Twitter account I've ever met. Um, <laughs> yes. I do, I do want to point out um, what I think is, is some of the most dangerous uh, disinformation uh, spreaders, and that's these retired or former military officers who uh, for some reason have lost their goddamn minds and uh, are, are embracing whatever uh, or sowing the seeds of conspiracy. You guys mentioned Phil Waldron and uh, not only was he an architect behind uh, some of the, the most prolific claims that, that started with that ASOG report in Antrim. He was also, uh, you know, he was coordinating with, uh, with Karen fan and Maricopa to get the cyber ninjas audit started. Uh, he's a colonel. Uh, Mike Flynn is a three-star general, or was. Uh, Ivan Raiklin has uh, made some appearances uh, in the January 6th hearings. Uh, Sean Smith uh, with Tina Colorado pushing everything that she's doing um, and also occasionally calling for violence or saying that, well, anybody committing this election fraud that we're absolutely sure happened uh, without any evidence, they committed treason and need to be uh, hanged by the neck. Um, and then uh, Seth Keschel. And none of these guys seem to to be uh, to have any compunction at all about using their military rank. And sadly, it kind of lends them a little bit of legitimacy when they're when Garrett, you mentioned uh, the um, the Nicki Minaj's, you know, the, the elites and, and how, OK, they might have these crazy things, but they're removed. They're they're in Hollywood or or wherever. And of course, Hollywood people are going to have crazy things thoughts but what about this guy he's a patriot he's such a patriot that he's that he was a, a military officer and he's saying the election was stolen so whatever he says must be true there's no way that he would lie to me right and so to you know and as a veteran myself uh that's disgusting yeah no and i mean you're you've been in those sphere i know a lot of people in the national national security space but the truth about it is like they're just people, you know, and when you have a million people in your army or whatever, some percentage of them are going to be sort of 
you know, their brains are going to be wired in that, in that way where they, and even very sharp people, you know, um, become a three-star general, but that doesn't make you immune from, from anything. You can still fall for stuff. Um, so I try to take a sympathetic view on that, but at the same time, it's very frustrating. And I think it, I think it plays, it, it plays off of sort of the, um, Ooh, what's the right word for this? just just sort of like this admira- this admiration that we have for people who serve in the in the armed forces um having grown up as a war generation starting in 2001 um where we've just sort of like been messaged and uh, and I think for a lot of reasons believe um serving in the military is a great thing but but what we sort of done with that is like then they can do no wrong you know and so I see somebody who is a former colonel who's standing behind this idea. And I mean, you know, they, <laughs> they were, they were a colonel, they served their country. They, they, they did combat tours in Iraq. Like, yeah, I actually, I'm going to lend some credence to that. Um, so it's, it's, it's our society as a whole. It's also that person who's violating their oath in a sense, right? When you think about enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, so there's like a number of things that go on, but I think that's a really good point brought up. Whew, so many hands are up. I think, Paula, you're up first. Let's go quickly so we can hit a lot of people. Yeah, I've got a, a stroke of despair in five acts. And this is like, <laughs> what, what we're fa- this is a story, an anecdote of what we're facing. So if you imagine Act 1, pre, before 2,000 mules got out, if you were to say mules or ballot traffickers to somebody, they'll go, huh? Uh, 2,000 mules comes out. This is Act 2. 2,000 mules comes out. Uh, Trump supporters, the head explodes. Uh, actually, we debunk every single issue and topic and minute of 2,000 mules. Trump supporters' heads are still exploded. Act four. Why do you still react badly to the idea of mules and ballot traffickers? Act five. Because they've still got information they haven't released yet. We, you don't know what they have. Mm. And that that's the despair. Yeah. Oh. Breaks my heart. <laughs> um, Teddy, I think you're up. Yeah, I'll just add that, you know, as someone that, you know, is a veteran myself and um, served in military intelligence, just so people know, you know, and this is even back when I served from 99 to 2007, you know, there, the amount of conspiracy theories and misinformation that I encountered on, like, classified folks and stuff like that stuff is is really really common in kind of the military world especially kind of the military intelligence world like there's yeah, it's not idea that yeah the idea that people like flynn and, and those folks come out of that world is not at all surprising to me yeah no that's true and by the way mike flynn for what it's worth people who have followed mike flynn's career know i mean he he had some brilliant moments of of leadership out in the out in the war zone and everything over the years but they brought him back to be uh to lead the defense intelligence agency at one point and like his entire workforce knew that he just made up facts i mean this is like long before so it's less it's less a they would call them flynn facts actually and then later you know he's national security advisor he's fired for lying to the fbi so it's more of like a gradual descent and like, what happened to Mike Flynn? You know, he was this great, even as a three-star general, he wasn't that great, I guess would be my point there. Uh, Ian and then Trapezoid and then Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much. I, I want to highlight just um, how 
you know, historically, it's pretty unusual for people to decide what's true based on evidence. And that's like a really uh, effortful way of, of making truth. And mm -hmm. it's much easier, you know, traditionally, doing it based on who has authority, including military authority, is, is a much more popular way and probably remains more popular now. And we have to remember that, like, pushing for an evidence-based method uh, is both still relatively new in human history and also, like, really requires a, a lot more work. And that it also, there's like a big difference between what makes something true, which we know is based on evidence, and what makes something persuasive. And there's nothing especially persuasive about true things. We have to do extra work on top of proving that they're true to make them also persuasive. And so like that kind of doubles our work. It's not enough to debunk. It also has to be persuasively debunked. And um, whereas on the other side, it, you can make it persuasive however you want to if you're not bound by truth, as, as, as everyone in this call knows. But I just want to highlight that that aligns more with these traditional ways of deciding if things are true, um, whereas doing it based on evidence, extra work on both sides. Yeah, and that comes back to our culture. I talk and write occasionally about like misinformation culture, this sort of, th it's, a, it's a thread through American history in particular, I think, um, where that is just a feature of, of how we are. And part of me thinks like, we're never going to fix this by treating the symptoms down here, you know, downstream. It's like, we got to go upstream and, and kind of like rewire a little bit if we can to, to seek information in a different way. It's, it's, uh, it's maybe a more evolved thing that we should try to work toward. And it would, you know, it involves education sort of norm setting and some of these other things. Um, but I have hope. I have hope in the long run we can do that. Trapezoid. Yeah, just kind of piggybacking off this topic uh, of, of leaning on military background as credentials uh, or as something that, that leads credibility to claims that are being thrown out there. Uh, it's definitely not just limited to the military or to folks with military backgrounds, although they do make up a, a large chunk of some of the more influential people out there. Uh, thinking of the reports out of Mesa County as a prime example, uh, there are quite a few authors of those reports that have touted their uh, computer science backgrounds. But, you know, just because you're a computer science professor doesn't mean you know how to do modern computer forensics off the bat. Uh, it's almost certainly going to be easier for them to figure that out. But, you know, it's, it's not there. There's Computer science is an insanely broad field. You know, leaning on on that kind of credential uh, is is a bit much, and and people will see that and take it at face value without digging into it any further. Uh, Jeff O'Donnell, who is one of the authors of uh, a couple of the Mesa reports, uh, he gets introduced on podcasts and and things like that as a uh, CEO of a cybersecurity company. But if you look into what that actually is. It's a company that he created, I think, within the last eight months. And it's him and Lady Draza, who is another uh, election denier, putting out you know, bad election info. But that's, you know, no one talks about what the company is. He's simply <laughs> the CEO of a cybersecurity company. Uh, security company, yeah, that's... It, yeah, exactly. They, they use those credentials to, to limit the amount of pushback you get. And it's... Uh, it, it's been really frustrating to, to watch that unfold. Well, we've got another concept for him that I think would be really fun to do. I don't know if we, I don't know if we'd get a large audience for it, but um, kind of like technical, like the technical type of disinformation, this sort of thing where you snow people over with these terms and inflate your credentials and talk about things that aren't really in your sphere. Like you're a chiropractor talking about 
vaccines and epidemiology or something or um you know you're <laughs> you're mike lindell and you're talking about pcaps and then rob graham comes along and it's like mm. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> even saying like it's it's nonsense at, at the outset right uh, yeah, I yeah i would love to have that discussion uh you know the the mesa county reports at this point are like probably a cumulative almost 700 pages uh the actual content is a fraction of that uh but you know it people's eyes roll to the back of their head when they see it because it's just full of, of nonsense yeah all right alex go and then we're going to talk about q thanks prism um I guess I just didn't want the conversation to about, about grifters not to include Glenn Greenwald um, at, mm -hmm. on some level. Um, I wasn't able to participate in the whole conversation, so maybe he was brought up. But um, uh, and that whole crew, you know, uh, Michael Tracy, Aaron Mate, the, all the Syria uh, genocide deniers and chemical attack deniers. Um, we, we definitely, you know, should mention them. Um, Evil substack hailed into uh, Ukraine and what's going on there and kind of <laughs> defending Putin and, and Russia and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, just wanted to bring bring their names into the conversation and then connected to them really is, is and that, you know, Edward Snowden, you know, obviously somewhat uh, a lot with the military, you know, NSA using his credentials um, to kind of be a uh, disseminator of conspiracies and whatnot. Uh, and then also that whole crew um, coming at it from, you know, a kind of ambiguous uh, side, you know, claiming they're the left, but really being parroted by the right um, just adds another whole element to the conversation. Um, and then, you know, tying it back to the military, there's this guy, um, Anthony Schaefer, I think his name is, who was a big time uh, early 9-11 conspiracy pusher. Um that um, you know shows up on Fox and different you know outlets you know pushing different conspiracy theories. So I uh, just had some names that I had in my mind that you know I, I didn't hear come up. Those are good. Thank you. Um, yep. Mike, are you there? Yeah, I was just saying the Mr. Trump who I do not support crew. That's that's their whole shtick. Is just look, I'm Trump who I do not support. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, throw Elon Musk in that basket, too, maybe. I don't know. He seems similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, but now um, Elon supports Trump. He admitted it. He's just out and out. Yeah, he's just out and out voting for Mira Flores in, uh, in Texas and everything. Um, yeah, so good point, Alex. We, we can't close without... I'm going to scan through my little list here and make sure that we didn't hit anybody. Let's see. Who haven't we talked about? Patrick Byrne and the America Project, but he's tied up in a lot of this kind of stuff. I would love to get into like Wendy Rogers and Mark Fincham in the Arizona Senate. Um, Garrett's uh, not here anymore, so we won't do that. But uh, Sidney Powell, Dr. Tenpenny, Dr. Simone Gold, who's recently been, I don't know what happened to her. She got her license taken away or she was arrested for doing something on January 6th. Something happened with her recently. Steve Bannon, maybe like master of the grifting podcasters joel Altman's up there we talked about him um we did talk about alex jones oh um one of the things that got me going on this as a topic to explore was um michael edison hayden's work at splc on jack posobic um so there's like a whole thing you could talk about with with jack and then the other jack jack berkman um with the murder of seth rich um 
thing a few years ago. There's actually the web of make believe death lies in the internet is now on, on Netflix. It's like a limited series and episode two of that covers Jack Berkman and, and the Seth Rich um, piece. So if anybody's interested in, in digging into any of that, but yes. So all of those. And then there is this thing that happened this week after we had this scheduled, not the surprise hearing the other thing, which was the salt rotation, etc. <laughs> trip codes, and the return of the guy Q. So if anybody's interested in sticking around and talk about Q, we, we, we may go for a little bit on this. Um, if, if that's not your bag, then, um, then we'll, we'll wish you a good afternoon. But we do have to talk about Q, so we're going to take a few minutes now. Before we get too into Q, I just wanted to speak to Simone Gold, if you wanted that for two seconds. Yes, please, Beth. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Simone Gold, notorious hydroxychloroquine lover, uh, she was recently sentenced uh, for her role in the insurrection. Um, she got, I don't 100% remember the all the deets, so I'm looking for now, um, but it was, uh, she got 60 days jail time, I believe a year of shin and $9,500 fine. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody can find my source faster than me. Um, but, uh, you know, she's still grifting off of it. Um, she immediately, like they already must have had this campaign ready to go, posted the day after that uh, guilty plea to continue fundraising, even though the judge literally mentioned her fundraising as an aggravating factor in uh, upping her um upping her sentence uh she she wasn't violent so uh she could have gotten a much more lenient sentence uh but was was upgraded because of america's frontline doctors and her grifter um and further to that um she's also uh really pushing out her personal telemedicine platform so she can directly prescribe hydroxychloroquine to people uh it's called gold telemed and i compare this to um crisis pregnancy centers in its style um doesn't take any insurance it is you know all cash and uh unlike the setup of america's frontline doctors where they'll send you with a prescription this will include, uh, you know, the whole the whole package in one. Yeah. And America's Frontline Doctors, just as a refresher, they were the ones that did the thing on the steps of the whatever. Yeah, and- uh, they were on the steps of the Supreme Court for- July 28th, 2020. Right? It was um, the White Coat Summit. Yes, the White Coat Summit. She So Simone Gold is not the demon sperm lady no um i i think that stella emmanuel the demon sperm lady was included not only to you know check their boxes of diversity just for sake of doing so but to distract uh her views are just so extreme that of course she would attract attention where simone would fly a little more under the radar roger yeah okay yeah thank you so much for that absolutely um well look we've got some other folks who i'm sure might have comments on cube and i'm going to open it up to to um mike first to speak to as um as he's top of my list here uh me <laughs> yeah if you want to oh no oh of course no I, I didn't know that i'd put my hand up or anything no uh so what i wanted to say was pretty much um the the, the big thing about q's incredibly low effort dumb posts was the fact that, as people have talked about, you brought up the salt rotation. And basically what salt rotation means in this situation is that when they changed the quote-unquote salt, everyone's uh, trip code, the identifier that you have on 8kun, 
that changes. So you type in your password. You were supposed to get one trip code. Now you get a different one because the salt changed. So yeah. if your if your password was yellow and the salt was red, your trip code would be orange. And if they changed the tri the uh, salt to blue, now your trip code green. If you put in yellow as your password, and people were noticing that their trip codes were changing and they were like wait a minute why is my trip code changing why did they do a salt rotation this is confusing and then in the middle of this salt rotation q shows up with his old hashtag which was impossibility given the salt rotation the only mm. way q could have that trip code is if uh, the administrators had just like let him do it, or they they had like typed it in directly themselves. It's only something you can get through the back end of Eight Kun. So they did this very weird thing where they author they changed everyone else's trip codes except Q's, and only the people running Eight Kun could have done it. So. All the plausible deniability, all the Ron Watkins, oh, I don't know who Q is, I don't know what's going on, all of this stuff that the Watkins boys and their employees have done, it all goes directly out the window with this stunt. It's so stupid. They've confirmed that the Watkins are either Q or they're one degree of separation away from Q because it's one of their employees, it's one of their workers. That's the only way these posts could have been made the way they were. And, yeah. I mean... Their OPSEC and their understanding of what they're doing is so moronic, it, it's, it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling. Yeah. So stepping back, for, for anybody who's not like in the weeds of uh, what happened this last few days with Q, um, basically, and, and this has been covered on, like, Donnie's done it on CNN, and there was an article in the New York Times. So there's, there's uh, a lot of coverage about this. We're seeing it a lot in the um, support group that I do on Facebook um, and another one that I'm a member of, like everybody's sort of taken notice of this because it's directly impacting families, which, which is real, you know, like the impact on the loved ones of people who believe in, believe that Q is real, like a real military insider and working for Trump and all this. Um, they feel this, whether it is Ron Watkins or his employee or anybody else on earth. So in a way it's like, kind of immaterial right like who it is and and um how they're doing this is sort of um for these people anyway beside the point which is the harm that is gonna flow from this after q is re-accepted you know like they they accept that this incarnation is the same as as before and then maybe the movement stops uh stalling out and starts to grow again which is like pretty terrible scenario when you think about it for for society so um yeah so that's not to say we shouldn't figure it out and i think that there's been some really good um forensic work done on that including by robert robert amore i see you on here um uh you know other folks and and travis i listened to i listened to q and on anonymous podcast i thought you guys did a nice job of kind of laying some of that out um but yeah, how do we know who it is and, and, and whether that is? So the question really to me on, on the screw up of it, right, is that if Jim or Ron uh, or, their, or their employee did this, 
and then there was another screw up too on the on the v, uh, on the um on, on the, the tour, tour on the right? tour servers they authorized tour servers just like a couple hours before Q posted using tour which was an obvious like heads up that like they got the word yo we're going to be using tour for these Q drops so authorize tour on these boards for the right now yeah so a couple of pieces there i guess my question on it is like does this open it up to i mean does it impact belief in it at all? Like, I, I think, I think that's a hard sell just because Pepe and IET 17 and truth hammer, they're all just like kind of waiting to back on board. Like this is, this is basically um, the moment they've been waiting for. Right. So it's hard to imagine them rejecting this new cue, what can be waved away as technicalities. But um, if, if not on the belief level within the community, then like, is there, um, is there like a law enforcement vulnerability, legal exposure kind of element to this? Are they going to be discoverable by, you know, does this really like give away the game in a way that's going to have consequences? And actually the last question on my, on my topic list here for the, for the meetup was going to be, are there ever any consequences for grifting? Q ran this thing for a long time. I don't know what, money the person who ran the q account made from it like how that actually worked out a lot of these people have um 10 penny and gold and like a lot of the election grifters right there is money to this um but then what are we doing as a society to hold anybody accountable for it and um what should we be doing and and how uh the one last thing i'll say before i shut up is that i don't really know about the accountability and the and the, the grifting side of it but the one thing I was going to say is the obviously LARPing, obviously fake Truth Social Q account that was made by was made by Truth Social and the Trump team to bring QAnon onto Truth Social to give them their daddy. It was obviously fake. It was obviously a LARP. The, the account would even say it was a LARP sometimes just to try to get people from like they didn't want that much heat on them. But from the but account, disinformation is necessary. So. Right, but 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 again, but uh, all, like praying medic was doing do de- de- uh, decodes of the stuff to tr- that Q Truth Social was posting. Yeah. Pepe, you know, they were all in on that all on that gimmick. They were all in. They don't care. Anyone who claims the mantle and has any level of credibility, they accept it. They run with it. They're happy. So that's... what are they doing now? I mean, like all the people that were baking uh, against Truth Social Q, and now Real Q is back, and it's obviously different. Oh, they're 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 just pretending that they never. Uh, Truth Social Q never heard of him. Have no idea what you're just talking about. Right he was a cop. Yeah, oh, yo, Truth Social Truth Social Q was never my best friend. Q is my best friend now. I mean, that's just they just they just dropped it like a hot potato. They don't even care. <laughs> All right, I, I, it's amazing that 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 can happen, Teddy. Yeah, I mean, on the accountability uh, aspect, I mean. I don't have any good news. <laughs> like I, I just don't think for the most part there's, there's going to be hardly ever any real accountability for any of the grifters, the people that traffic in this stuff. I mean, when you do see accountability and that's even for folks that are obviously defrauding their followers and, and, I mean, the only accountability that we've seen kind of in this realm that comes straight to mind is, is Bannon and his associate, you know, that were charged with fraud related to raising all that money for the border wall and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, other than that, I think it, it's, 
the, I, I think just because it requires people to demand accountability and I think, you know, admitting that you were um, defrauded by these people is, is a really difficult thing for people to, to want to admit privately, much less publicly. Right. right. And so I think any kind of public accountability or whether it's civil, you know, uh, charges or, or, or much less criminal charges, I think is, is, I think it's something that we shouldn't expect ever. Um, you know, I think, um, especially in this part of it, I think in, when you look at what's happening with January 6th and the prosecutions there, I think there's a lot more accountability happening around that, but that was like, you know, a, the most recorded criminal act in human history. Right. So like, I think when it comes to like the grifters facing any accountability, they may face some kind of relative accountability from, from their followers and stuff like inability to raise money at a certain point. But even then um, I think that's, that seems rare. <laughs> and so I hate to be a downer, but that that's kind of just what I see. Uh, you know, that's my perspective. Yeah. I don't disagree. Um, it is, it is a sad state of affairs. And I, I, you know, we have a misinformation culture for a reason. And the reason is there's not a lot of accountability in terms of um, there's not a lot of accountability when it comes to people who spread information that's just false, you know, known to be false. And still, we, we just don't impose even like societal stigma, you know, like in a lot of ways you're rewarded for this in, in a lot of circles. So, um, yeah, that's a tough thing. Um, I wonder if anybody on the, and by the way, Cheyenne, Travis, Q, Karma, like you can, you want, we're going to just get a few more minutes. Um, but would love to have your thoughts on, on all of this. Um, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to ask a hypothetical related to the hearing today. And also what we've been talking about with Q, which is what if after all, all these years, Hillary is never arrested, but Donald Trump is, how would that play out? Is that just like the cabal just the cabal one? Like we just have to retreat to our compounds now and um, live off our canned food. Like what's the response? Uh, I've actually seen QAnon promoters talk about, quote unquote, the first arrest, which is supposed to be the arrest that was going to trigger the mass awakening. And they've been like, what if the first arrest was Trump? His arrest shows the corruption to the world. And then they see it and then their eyes open. And that's the storm. So they already have it. They already have it planned if Trump's the first arrest. They already have the plan. Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You have to wake everybody up so that they. Yeah, no, I don't get it. But okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty much what the the Kraken nonsense was. Think back to Sidney Powell claiming, "Oh, we need to lose these cases because we're not at the highest level yet, and we can't we can't even present our evidence until we get to the Supreme Court of the entire universe or whatever the hell she's talking about." But uh, I, I mean, that's really what what this whole what this whole idea is. Oh, Trump has to be arrested so that in a criminal trial he can present all of his evidence and finally bring the deep state down. Yeah, it's like Andy Bernard sitting in the back of Michael Scott's office and he goes, "Addition by subtraction." And Michael goes, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> but that's exactly right. That's that's the Sidney Powell Kraken model of just uh, 
playing your L's off as W's. Um, and apparently you can get away with that for a long time. Q's certainly done it, did it for a long time and now is going to be doing it again. All right. Well, um, let's wrap up. That was a fun hypothetical. I, it's completely, I mean, there's no chance that I'm being arrested in my opinion. Um, if you want to know my, my assessment of that, but I think what it'll show us is if he's not indicted and if he's not at least investigated, maybe indicted when you're president, the law doesn't apply to you. We'll just have to just live with that, I guess, as a nation. <laughs> but if you can't investigate and indict somebody based on what, what he's done, then um, yeah, there's just not really, not really any hope in that regard. So um, thanks everybody for joining. Um, really appreciate all the input from our speakers. And yes, round of applause, please. It's so funny on, on Spaces because I'm just it's quiet and I'm talking. But everybody clap your, your hands for our speakers and we really do appreciate. Um, please uh, follow on Twitter so you know when our next meetup is going to be. And um, let's all be in touch and do this anti-misinformation thing together. Have a good evening.